Hi, I'm PJ Stevens with more PJ Tips. Today I have with me Richard Cartwright. And Richard, I met through the um, through Sumter University. He's an enterprise fellow there. We met four, five, six years ago now. Um, Richard has been described as a dynamic academic. And I'm I, I, listen, let's see how that plays out because I'm not quite sure what one of those is, to be honest. I do know that he is an exceptionally experienced non-executive trusted by the NHS, National Audit Office, Mobility and ICAEW. And I think, did we meet through NEDA at one point, Richard? I can't remember now. Was it NEDA? We sort of crossed paths through a variety of things. I think the Executive Learning Partnership at the University of Southampton, but uh, as, as, it, as it tends to happen, it's a relatively small world. And so when you sort of get out there, out, out and about, you tend to find that you pass across a, a, a number of different events. But delighted to be here, delighted to be on that. On, Great. On. Now, and it, listen, it's kind of you to make the time man first, Sumter University, for sort of creating the space for you to, to do that in. Now, I know this isn't a therapy session, but you used to be an accountant, didn't you? I still am an accountant for my sins. Uh, <laughs> so I started accountant, started at KPMG, uh, then moved into academia uh, and then, you know, I tried to stay relevant by engaging with my professional institute and volunteering there for a long period of time and then sort of launched back out into uh, the world uh, having sat on the board of the university uh, or the university's council and the ICAW's council started engaging uh, in a non-executive capacity with a number of other organisations so yeah it's, it's nice I sort of describe myself as a pracademic so someone who's academic love it worked at a university for a long period of time loves teaching but actually is is more at home working with business and um getting at, 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 out out and about and it's the practical bit because that that made me smile because that that practice you know, that come um, academic bit of the practical bit because that's what with with so we, we know with the pj tips what we offer people is very practical and useful insights so we want to give people information so they can do something differently as a result of it rather than just sort of sharing theory there's enough theory in the world so listen today um which I particularly want to talk to you about boards and board behaviour. And I want to do this in two parts. So part one is going to be boards behaving badly. And we've done some work on this before, but if you can really help us succinctly bring this stuff to life. So um, listen, before we crack on with boards behaving badly, quickly, what is the definitional overview of a board? What is it? Who needs one? So, I mean, arguably everyone or every organisation should really have a board. Um, the Companies Act has uh, a legal requirement for, for UK companies to have directors and loosely if you have more than one director you would describe that as the board of directors. Now the vast majority of companies in the UK are tiny um, but certainly as you move into the larger listed space the regular regulations that surround uh, the requirements for boards are sort of formalised and crystallised. So, if we're thinking about our large listed companies, they have to apply or explain why they're not applying the UK Corporate Governance Code. And loosely there, you would have a mixture of executive directors who work for the organization, actually have functional roles. So your managing director, your chief financial officer, and hopefully if they're applying the code, they'll have a majority of non-executive directors who are there really to protect the stakeholders and shareholders interest. If you look at public authorities, you tend to find that they have a much broader board. Uh, so you'll have a, a group of executive directors again, but non-executive directors who are not only sort of functional specialists who can challenge the board, but also 
have a you know the, the greater public interest at heart and you tend to find them uh, far, far more broadly representative a much more diverse board and that's sort of the space that I operate in as a non-exec director uh, on not necessarily government uh, department boards but you know working with the NHS working with the mm. National Audit Authority working with places for people motability where they're really seeking not only expertise in a particular area be it audit and accounting for me but also life experience right and so and, and that's because i think the well for me anyway certainly with boards it's it's bringing that lived experience into the boardroom which is you you know which is really useful not not just the you know the, the certification or the education bit or the academic bit as you mentioned but how are we going to apply that usefully um and practically just just if you can just confirm for us um, the difference between the executives and the non-executives? So the executive directors are those who are employed by the organization and they're employed in a particular role. Uh, and within private businesses, you, you talk about statutory directors. So, I mean, in terms of nomenclature and, you know, company names, I mean, everyone's an executive this and a director of that. The Companies Act has a real sort of definition of of director or statutory director those are the people that have responsibilities under the companies act for the stewardship of the organization and within most organizations that's a relatively small number of people so you might have 20 directors of xyz you might have four or five statutory directors or maybe only one or two or three um your non-executive directors are not employed well they're employed by the organization, they're appointed uh, by the shareholders, but they're there not to undertake a day-to-day -day role within the business. Uh, they're there to put their two cents in, I suppose, uh, uh, you know, to put their knowledge and experience in. They're there to represent the, sh the, the interests of the shareholders. Crucially, they are still a statutory director, so they have the full, uh, <laughs> I guess they have the downside Right. Of, uh, of of the you know responsibilities and the uh, the legal responsibilities for for, for being a, a, a not a full director, but they don't work at the organisation. They're there normally thirty days a year maximum, as opposed to three hundred and sixty five days okay. a year. But they're there to provide balance and challenge. And just and just help me, just um, you know, I mean, I've heard people describe. NEDs as um, you know, as useful was it as useful as a Christmas tree bauble or a Christmas tree decoration? I've heard them described as B days. Um, true or false? I think it really depends on the organisation that you're working with. Um, you know, certainly for me, I was really keen that I pushed my career in this direction. But quite often, as it happens, you're sort of really aspirational. Uh, you, you you work really hard to try and get your first appointment. You get that first appointment. And then you receive a letter from company's house and you start you start going gulp. You know, what happens if the executive are a little bit unfaithful? What happens if the executive, you know, don't provide you all of the information that, that you need? And um, and ultimately, as a non-exec director, you are only there for 30 days a year. You you do have to place a huge amount of trust in the executive directors. And you have to then, you know, do your job, which is research, challenge, represent, make sure that you get to grips with the organization, not only in the boardroom, but in real life. So 
you know, with the NHS, I go out and visit various service lines for places for people. I've recently been out to look at uh, a number of, of, of their properties just to get a feel for what it's like on the ground. Um, because otherwise, yeah, you are just there as a token uh, device. And if you're in that situation, you know, you probably have to question whether or not you really should be in there or whether or not you should uh, be stepping away and, and ultimately resigning. Okay. Because if it doesn't pass a sniff test, you, <laughs> you ultimately, it's your brand as a, as a non-executive, your, oh, your, 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 your brand that's at stake. Um, and, um, and yeah, so you have to be careful who you, uh, who you engage with. No, thank you. Right. So let's, let's talk about what I really want to get stuck into today is this, is, is boards behaving badly? So I'd like you to tell us a little bit about, you know, why boards behave badly and can we have some ideas of what are the, you know, in your view and experience, what are the costs of bad behaviours to business, such as, say, underperformance, missed opportunities, governance, um, maybe restricting CEOs, I don't know. Tell, tell us about that. I guess, it, I mean, ultimately, in the most severe cases, boards that behave badly, you know, a business that otherwise didn't need to fail might fail. Not all business failures are the fault of boards. You can have a completely functional board, you know, huge expertise, hardworking, diligent, all the rest of it. And, you know, as, as the saying go, events, dear boy, events does for them. And we, we're seeing those at the moment, you know, energy prices rising, commodity prices rising. If you're a small business, you're unable to hedge. You might just fold simply because your margins are destroyed by something completely beyond your control. You know, boardrooms behaving badly and business failures uh, that occur because executives and non-executives haven't done their jobs properly. That's the real tra tra right. tragedy where you've got a fundamentally healthy organization, but because of some human nature, personality defects, uh, lack of attention, lack of scrutiny, lack of ambition or idea means that all of the great work that happens underneath is actually scuppered by what's what happens what happens at the very top and and and, and really a, a lot of it's to do with you know the worst characteristics of human nature you know if we go down the seven deadly sins you know you've got greed you've got uh you know gluttony you've got uh sloth all of those you can see exhibited you know, hopefully not in the boards that any of our viewers are, 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 are working with. But, but you know, humans have those propensities. Sometimes when people have reached the very top, yeah, um, they exhibit the worst of behaviours. And, and if you're not providing really robust challenge to that, then a business is going to suffer as a result. It's funny you sort of say, because there's, there's things like, um, you know, when I, some of the boards I work with, you know, conflict, right? You know, warranted or unwarranted conflict. You know, they they just don't get on. The relationships aren't particularly good. At some point, they've been strained or you know damaged in some way, and, and therefore that affects decisions. You know, because people you know think, oh, hey, you know, that's a really good idea from Richard, but I'm going to say it's a bad idea because you know he irritated me three years ago when X. You know, and they're still hanging on to this stuff. 
or you see people with they've they've kind of got their own agenda they're thinking maybe about their department or their their piece of the business and how you know how it's going to impact on them you know maybe they have to work harder for example maybe they're going to have to be part of the change program people don't always want that but reaching agreement seems to be quite difficult some of the i was working with some guys a while ago and um we i gently said god it's and perhaps i shouldn't have done but um I like BMW cars, which I don't know if you drive one or not, but there's something, you know, BMW bitching, moaning and whining. You know, I'm sitting in this board meeting with people literally being members of the BMW club and we kind of had to bring that up. But um, there's perhaps some more important ones, you know, maybe that you want to just share perhaps around, you know, governance or some practical bad behaviours that might restrict a CEO, for example. I don't know your I, thoughts on that. I think, I think the classic thing is, you know, some of the traits that help people get to the top are not necessarily traits that then help them work together when right. they're uh, when, when they're in that position or to necessarily lead. Uh, you do have you know situations where you might have a very domineering CEO. It's my way or the highway, um, who's not collaborative, and therefore you know the board becomes a hurdle rather than an opportunity for discussion, debate, enrichment, and an enhancement. It's sort of a let's get this through the board as opposed to let's right. hear what the board thinks. Um, you you might also then have, as you said uh, in your example, people who have very long memories and 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 don't, just don't get that they need to elevate themselves when they get to the boardroom because it's not about their agenda. It's not about their silo or their particular project it's about the business as a whole or the organization as a, as a whole and they what they they can't do they can't elevate or imagine themselves in a role which is about something bigger than 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 their day job and it is about this sort of collective responsibility this collective decision making that you you're a part of when you're you're part of the board you're no longer just the head of operation or the chief financial officer. You're the chief financial officer, yeah, that's your area of expertise, but you're also part of this cabinet responsibility where you have to make a collective decision and then whether you like it or not, you have to carry it out and you have to take it back out into the business and, and, and lead with it. So um, why, don't these, sorry, why, why don't these bad behaviours get challenged more, Richard? I think partly because people are quite scared. You know loosely because uh you know they're, they're, again part of the part of what might make you a successful character may be that you have exhibited quite alpha characteristics whether you're male or female you, you know you're you're passionate you're driven you're strong and that's what's helped you climb the ladder all the way through your career and then you get there and then you're in an environment where you're amongst other people now you know you it's probably one of those environments where you, if you're working together and it's great it's brilliant but if you're not working together and you're slightly clunky then all of a sudden it becomes explosive um and you butt heads rather than being sort of best 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 friends and it's having and, and loosely i think it's the responsibility of the non-executives and certainly the right. chair to make sure that the board is a cohesive place. Uh, and quite often, because those non-executives and the chair may not be 
as active as they should be um, because it's quite easy to cheat on those 30 days and become overcommitted or not engaged in the business as much as you should be that you don't provide that challenge that you don't provide that leadership that you don't have the necessary skill sets among the non-executives mm. to provide robust challenge against the executive directors because really every executive director should almost have their shadow so you know the non-executives can't have the wool pulled over their eyes because they're sufficiently skilled and experienced yeah. be it technically or you know by the university of life so to speak that they that they can robustly challenge the execs so thank you so tell us um why is it that we why is it why is it perhaps that it's easy to see bad behaviors you know if we if we say to people you know identify good behaviors and we're going to talk about that later that's quite difficult but yet if we say identify bad behaviors people seem to be in my experience they can list many so why is that i think it's because in some ways what makes good corporate governance is a, a bunch of behaviors that are um not flamboyant they're not easily observable and you're right when we when we undertook that session boardrooms behaving badly uh as part of the elp we got lots of responses of what bad behaviors were but it's quite hard to articulate what good behaviors are with respect to governance and I think this is also because governance and leadership are often quite, you know, they're, they're confused by individuals. Leadership is sort of like that thing that takes you out of the trenches and over the hill or, right. you know, takes you to that new my, milestone. It's quite charismatic. It's bold occasionally. It, it can be collaborative. It can be compassionate. But it's full of these human, you know, hopefully warm human emotions. Um, good governance is quite different so it's often quite easy to identify what the bad behaviors are because it's you know poor temperament it's uh you know fraudulent activity it's acting out it's butting heads it's disagreeing it's it's having that sort of corrosive experience that makes everyone feel mm. uncomfortable and leads to bad outcomes and it's just because i guess good governance doesn't hit the headlines <laughs> Bad governance does. We see it, you know, uh, yeah, yeah. on no, the that's, front page of the Financial Times. That's very fair, that isn't it? Yeah, does good governance hit the headlines? Answer probably not. Okay, so here's your here's your starter for ten, as it were, a university challenge, right? In your view, what are the five? And I've got I do have a view on this, but what's your five worst board behaviours? Um, other than bad behaviours like picking yeah. your nose and biting your nails. <laughs> yeah. <in court. laughs> We'll set those set those aside. Um, I think the the first thing is talking over one another. You know, boards are talking shops. You get the papers prepared, you read them, you then discuss them, and then you have to decide. And if a board meeting is not, there's nothing wrong with it being impassioned, and there being a real uh, fight over the decision. It has to be done in an orderly manner because otherwise you're not hearing everyone's point of view. So if you're talking over or if someone's just not letting go and, and just holding the floor, you know, some sort of filibuster, then that's really, really bad. 
Right, so is that one then talking over each other or is two the filibuster? Yeah, is I think one? one or two. You can have uh, one and a half, right. Go, go on then, number two. Okay, number two is just not having the right people in the room. And that doesn't, it's not about their CV. It's about a whole host of things. It's about lived experience, it's technical knowledge, it's about interest in whatever's going on, uh, going on there. So I think, you know, not having the right people in the room. Brilliant. Three? Um, three? You gonna, I mean, I'm going to start running out because... They're, no, they're sort no, no, because no, I'm, I'm going to get one in. When you run out, I've got one. I've just got okay. to get on the table. Um, I get petulance, you know... <laughs> Boards deal with strategic issues and you'll get someone going, oh, yeah, but what about this small thing, you know, right here and, and, and sort of diving into the operational areas. And sometimes that's important. And maybe you have a workshop between the board meetings where you do a deep dive into an operational area and you ask all those questions and you get those points of view from the, the experience that you've got from the executive and the non-executive to try and improve a process. But in the boardroom, you should be dealing with, you know, what we call as auditors, really material, significant decisions. And you do occasionally get boards that just dive into uh, uh, into way too much depth and, and don't stand back and let people get on with their day jobs, which is what the executive. So if that's four, can I have the fifth one, please? Well, actually, yeah. it's my it's my show. I'm having the fifth one. There you go. But the the one the one I really winds me up is the. You know, boards, I think the old expression is agree or disagree, but commit. And it really winds me up when the board meeting is over, you know, people leave. And then there's those um, sort of corridor conversations where it starts maybe going, well, do you really believe that? No, not really. But I kind of said I would because I ought to. And actually, I'm not really going to agree. I'm going to kind of do my own thing. And then it sort of gets diverse. And I'm not saying we shouldn't have diverse thought in the meeting. But as I say, agree or disagree, but commit. Because when yeah. you leave that boardroom, this idea of these little extra meetings or meetings after meetings, and I, I get it, you know, I sit in a meeting and I get a, a call later, well, so-and-so wasn't very nice and I don't agree with that. And you think, we've barely left the meeting. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it undermines the whole thing for me, anyway. Those meetings should happen before, right? It's about, if you disagree with something and you think it's a really, really important point and, you, you know, you, you don't want to resign over it, well, it's your job to try and convince people before the meeting that you're right. And that's politics, right? It's about building coalitions. And I've I've made this mistake in the past. I, I've I've sort of not quite thrown, you know, the nuclear button, but I've gone, you know, in my early 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 stages, it, you know, in my board board career, disagreed with something passionately, but done it in the meeting. That's way right. too late. Yeah. You have, if you're going to disagree with something passionately and you really believe it's important, then what you have to do is speak to everyone beforehand and go, what do you think about this? Are you sure about, you know, this is my perspective. This is, I'm going to make an argument in the meeting that we, we shouldn't be doing this or we should be doing this differently. You know, am I on the right path? Do you have any sympathy with this? You know, and you need to literally go around the houses in advance because... Unless you are, I don't know, Barack Obama-ish or, you know, incredibly <laughs> persuasive in the meeting, it's probably too late because it's been put in the meeting because the executives think it's a good idea. It's part of their strategy. They want to do it. it. 
if you really think this is a red line for you, and but a red line, but not a resigning issue, then you've got to do all of the legwork beforehand to try and get more people on board. Because otherwise, all you're going to do is go, I really disagree with this. I'm outvoted. Yeah, and, no, no, good point. And then you met afterwards and go, you know, I'm outvoted, but I'm, you know, it's collective responsibility. I'm going to go for it unless it is, you know, so severe that you go, well, actually, I'm going to step down from this position because I feel so strong. This has been me, PJ Stevens, with more PJ Business Tips. Thanks so much for listening. And thanks to my special guest, Richard Cartwright. Richard and I will be back shortly to discuss the second half of this recording, where we look at how businesses and boards can improve behaviours for the benefit of the business and the communities in which they thrive. Thanks for now. Bye.